Welcome to Peak Performance Humans, episode number 111. Are you ready for a game-changing advantage for your business? This is your invitation to get your team to start performing at the next level with a Peak Performance Business Results Training. It's the exact path to your next big breakthrough. It's the very first thing you'll see in the links down below. Today's episode is with Amit Mukherjee. Amit is the founder and managing partner of Chain Forest, a community native Web3 venture fund. Amit also serves as co-treasury lead at Friends with Benefits. Previously, Amit was a partner at the venture capital firm NEA. Amit began his career at JP Morgan and graduated from Princeton University. And now please enjoy today's show with Amit Mukherjee. Amit, welcome to the show. So glad to have you on, man. Thanks for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm excited to do this. Absolutely, man. Well, I'm glad uh, we connected. It's been a few months now in uh, New York during NFT NYC. And uh, I love the chat we were having together on uh, the rooftop of, I forget the name. What was the name of the place we were at? I can't remember. Uh, uh, some, some fancy uh, restaurant or hotel or something. Uh, it was nice, but I, I don't remember the specifics either. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I enjoyed our conversation. I loved your story. So I'm grateful for you to jump on here and share. Uh, with the audience more about yourself and what you're up to. So why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with kind of a little bit about your your background, your story, where you come from, and share whatever you feel is uh, relevant uh, with us. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I feel like with stories, we can go on forever. Um, at the highest level, um, I'm the son of two immigrants. Um, my parents both migrated from India. Uh, my mom for college, my dad for graduate school. Um, and we grew up in um, Mountain View, which is really um, the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, cool. And I think there were, you know, uh, a couple really unique elements of that experience. Um, one was um, I was constantly surrounded by immigrants um, growing up. Um, my parents, um, their friend community was naturally um, Indian as well. Um, and then I went to a uh, math and science uh, uh, oriented school um, from fifth grade on through high school, where, you know, 80 to 90 percent of the students were sons and daughters of immigrants and you know, primarily Chinese and Indian. Um, and, you know, I think uh, there was a certain work ethic um, and certain yeah. life philosophy that was um, ingrained in me as a result of that. And then secondly, you know, my my father and then so many of my friends, parents um, all worked in technology. And so, you know, my my passion uh, for um, uh, wanting to become a venture capitalist and be involved in entrepreneurship really comes down to really the, the first inspiration was seeing um, how all these families were benefiting from being in Silicon Valley and working for these tech companies. Um, and so, um, so uh, sort of that combination of, you know, being in this environment where a lot of people had moved to Silicon Valley to be successful and then seeing them, um, you know, find that success in tech, a lot of that sort of led very directly into my interest in the intersection of technology and business and then um, becoming a venture capitalist at a pretty young age. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you kind of uh, know at a young age that was like what you wanted to do because you were in that environment and you saw so many people being doing that or? Um, I, uh, yes, I, I knew at a uniquely young age that I was going to gun for that, um, which I think has its pros and cons. Um, my senior year of high school, I'd um, gotten into um, Princeton and I was sort of trying to figure out what I was going to do. 
I knew I wanted to do something in business. And, you know, partly by being in uh, Silicon Valley, I learned what a venture capitalist was and sort of understood what, you know, illiquid investing was. And so um, thought it was really, sounded really, really interesting. And I watched a few videos of um, John Doerr when I was a high school student, sort of said, this looks awesome. I, I definitely want to do this. Um, so I knew at a at a younger age that this was something I wanted to do. I think probably not all for the right reasons. Like I, I did see it was very prestigious and people were very pedigreed. And so I said, oh, this feels like something I should do. But yeah, um, yeah I, I did sort of decide really early that I wanted to put myself on a track to do that. That's awesome. I love that. What, I'm, I'm assuming you obviously read some of John Doerr's books. What was that one book he wrote? Measure? Is he, he wrote uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, what you measure matters, I think. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, I, I have not read that book. Um, I think uh, um, I read less of the source rate business books. And then, um, you know, cut, you know, uh, after, after spending a decade in NEA, um, these books written by um, investors who work at our competitors. Sometimes I feel a little bit too competitive to, to read. <laughs> so I actually haven't read um, John's book yet, but um, I've heard really good things. Cool. Awesome. What are some books you like to read, by the way? Um, it's really, um, it's really all over, you know, certainly for, um, exploring, um, um, uh, spirituality, um, or sort of life philosophy. So I've been sort of exploring stoicism, um, you know, I'm, I'm listening on audiobook to Sam Harris's waking up right now. Um, you know, um, a lot of times it's just sort of a couple pages before bed of like Ryan holidays, you know, um, like he has a book on 365 days of stoic philosophy or, um, you know, I, I have sort of a similar book of like quotes uh, that are sort of more Buddhist inspired. So, you know, sort of, sort of spent time thinking about that stuff and we'll yeah. read a bit of that. And then I'll go into these kicks where I'll read a lot and then not a lot for a while. So right now it's it's not not a lot of sort of heavy reading outside of, you know, some some casual stuff when I'm um, walking and listening to an audiobook or sort of like just reading a couple pages before bed. Yep. That's awesome. Do you, uh, do you have a discipline for like reading a little bit every day? Like, do you have a process for that or what do you, what, what's your kind of thoughts about reading? Um, I have tried to implement, uh, what is called smart note taking, um, also known as a Zettelkasten system. Uh-huh. Um, have, have you heard of it? Not the, no, the Zellkasten system. Zettelkasten. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If if you, uh, if you, if you type smart note taking into Amazon, um, basically it's this system of taking and transcribing notes and then mapping them, which um, uh, uh, is designed to sort of help um, sort of like put a part of your brain like onto paper and allow you to make more connections and have deeper insights and stuff. So um, I do try to sort of follow that where I'll read an article, take notes on it, um, sort of capture the big concepts and try to map them together. And um, I, I do think that's really helpful, but um, it it does take a lot of discipline and I'm disciplined a lot about a lot of things, but that's probably like on like fifth or sixth or seventh on my priority list right now. So I haven't really, I've done a lot of um, sort of Zettelkasten style note-taking in a software called Obsidian. Um, more commonly, a lot of people use Rome research. Um, but, um, but yeah, that's another thing I've tried to implement, but probably one of the things I've sort of dug less into versus some of the different things we are going to talk about today. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. So how do you, you just said a lot of awesome things, right? Like Zenocast and Obsidian software, the Rome, and what was the Rome research? Rome research. So I'm curious, how do you come across all these different tools 
for optimization and just performing better? Like, do you, do you like Google it? Do you look for it? Do you talk to friends and like, be like, Hey, what do you, what's, what do you, what have you found useful? Like, what do you have a process for that? Or how do you come across these tools? You know, I don't have a, um, like active process. If I need to find something to make this part of my life better. Usually, yeah. um, someone will describe something they've tried or heard about. And, um, I will explore that. Um, in this case, um, I have a, good friend named um, named Eric Gonsenheim, who sort of turned me on to first the book on smart note-taking. And he said he used it a lot and I respect um, his intelligence incredibly. And so okay. I said, okay, if you're doing this and you know this, this book, it makes sense, let me try it out. Um, and so most of the things we're gonna talk about today sort of um, have started from a recommendation or something someone mentioned. And I just sort of, it, it sort of spoke to me and I said, okay, I wanna, I wanna try that, I wanna do that. Nice. I love that. Awesome, man. Cool. Very cool. Um, and I'm going to dig into more of that with you too, because one of the things that I love uh, for myself, but also uh, I share with my clients is who you spend time with is who you become, right? So if you surround yourself with people playing at a high level and in different areas of your life, obviously business, health, relationship, uh, and then you can obviously kind of learn by osmosis and, and uh, get results a lot faster. So I love that you uh, use that uh, process too with your friends. Absolutely. Um, in, in terms of, so you grew up in Mountain View, you loved VC, you immersed yourself in it, you went to Princeton, you started studying economics there. Like what was, uh, tell us more about that journey and maybe what were some challenges maybe that came up and your mindset to maybe push through that and uh, overcome any any uh, challenges that came up on your journey? Um, yeah. Um, big big uh, questions here, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Princeton was hard. Um, yeah. You know, I think uh, a lot of people have different perceptions of, you know, what a school like that um, is like. Um, for me, it was a very, very hard um, experience um, and uh, both sort of um, socially and academically. Yep. Uh, even though I went to, a, I was fortunate to go to a very, very good, you know, math and science focused, um, you know, school. And so I came in probably more prepared than most. Um, I still found it really, really hard. Um, I started out as an engineer. Um, I think I had some arrogance about it. I signed up for an honors engineering class called Integrated Engineering Math Physics. Um, so I said, being an engineer isn't enough. I want to do this sort of special class where I learn it even more deeply. And nice. I just got rocked. It was just like so hard to keep up. And the people might, it was like a smaller class, 30 people. And, you know, people had sort of national, national accolades, whether it was, you know, um, math and physics olympiads or um you know there were a couple presidential scholars there's only like 100 a year and two of them were in this you know 30 person class um and so i got rocked um i was really focused on sort of getting a good job and so very concerned about my gpa and it made it a really stressful experience for me and i think all yeah. four years I, I really struggled with that um um uh, how, how did you how did you what was your mindset moving through that like how did you get yourself to push through like I'm sure you might have I don't know maybe you didn't right but some sometimes you might be like oh this isn't for me or I can't do it or I'm not smart enough or something like what was your mindset to move through any of those challenges you know um I think by sophomore year I got really passionate about a student organization on campus that I ended up running and yeah. that was taking a lot of time and I was getting a lot of energy out of that and I sort of said okay like I'm really kind of struggling here with you know, engineering, I, I'm getting a lot of joy out of this. I'm just going to sort of switch into economics, which is going to be less time, time intensive and 
Um, and so, so, you know, I, I sort of worked through it. Um, I would say I, I hadn't really developed a lot of the skills that I feel like I have now for sort of processing and, you know, thinking through issues. So I would say that like, it just kind of felt like a real grind, honestly. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love that you followed your joy and you, and you also weren't scared or afraid to pivot. Yeah. People are like, Oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. It reminds me of Jeff Bezos, right? He's like, when I realized I wasn't going to become like an amazing astrophysicist, I, I decided to, I think he shifted to like computer science or something, or I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. And he went to Princeton too, right? Yeah. Yeah. He oh, was cool. studying electrical engineering. He was actually my uh, commencement speaker when I was graduating. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Nice. Cool. Were, were there any lessons or things your parents kind of, I'm sure they gave you a lot of great lessons, right? But any, anything that sticks out to you in terms of them as guiding mantras or belief systems or, or values to, to guide you? You know, I think, um, uh, you know, particularly my father was, you know, very sort of um, achievement oriented. And so he um, really sort of instilled in me that, you know, you really should get A's and you really should, you know, try to try to do the best. Like you should get try to get into a great school like um, yeah. Stanford or, you know, um, and so um, you should try to get a great job. Right. So there's definitely an emphasis on on that, which um I think, you know, has, has really allowed me to be more focused, um, and sort of, um, more, more clearly sort of build myself plans to sort of achieve those things, which sort of became ingrained in me. Um, again, I kind of like, I kind of look at these things now and sort of say, all right, you know, I, I just had a daughter and I think I probably will, you know, probably have a slightly different approach. Um, but, but yeah, like that was definitely a big part of why I was able to be successful was, you know, this, um, you know, very influential figure in my life saying like, Hey, like do really, really well. Um, and so that really, for me, a big shift was from middle school to high school, where in middle school, I was kind of distracted, you know, messing around, got in a little bit of trouble and, you know, didn't really feel good about myself or also because like of these expectations. And, you know, at some point, you know, like when I got to high school, I just sort of said, no, it's going to be different. And I'm going to, I'm really going to make this happen. You know? So that was a really big part of, um, there was like a really big, like catalyst there, um, when I was 14. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I definitely credit my father for that. That's awesome. I love that. Very cool. One of the things that, uh, when I worked for Tony and he would always say is like, you could teach all the skills and the strategies, but the one thing you can't teach is hunger and the drive. Yeah. Some sure. people have it. Some people don't. And some people develop it later in life because things happen or don't happen. Uh, but it sounds like you had that uh, maybe from your father and just genetically in, in inside yourself. That's cool. For sure. Awesome, man. So, and then let me think where we want to go here for a sec. So you Princeton challenges with that. And then, and then you got into, then you started following your dream, right? Cause you, you knew you wanted to be in, in VC. And then I think your first jobs out of college, you started, you, you worked in investment banking, right? Yeah. So, um, uh, I had sort of, you know, again, sort of having a pretty clear, you know, line of sight to, um, what I wanted to do at the time, it wasn't specifically VC. It was, you know, some form of, um, investing, you know, yeah. I was sort of open to, you know, working at a tech hedge fund or tech private equity too, but it was sort of tech, tech, you know, alternative asset investing. Yep. And, you know, I was aware that, you know, um, essentially consulting and banking programs were a feeder for it. So wasn't, you know, uh, people on these campuses have kind of like a love hate relationship with, you know, these jobs like JP Morgan, where they feel like, you know, we were selling our soul the first minute we get off of, you know, it's right. like the first year of their education, but 
you know, for me, it was, it was really clear. Okay. So if I, if I go to a place like this, I'll be able to get through the investing role that I want. Yep. I love that. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. There's a price to pay for anything in life, right? A lot of times when we're younger, I, I worked in finance too, when I first left college and I studied economics yeah. as well. Um, but I, like most young kids, we don't understand. I, I didn't understand that. I was like, oh, this sucks. I thought it was going to be easy and just become a, a, a billionaire overnight. And, and yeah, right. <laughs> like, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you're an athlete or a coach or a real estate salesperson, whatever you want to do, an artist. It's like, you got to fucking pay the price and put in the work, right? For sure. Yeah. I love, I love that you do that. And you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to suck it up and, and get it done. Cool. And then what was the shift for you when you, I know you obviously worked for many years, right? At NEA and other, and other firms as well. But when, when you decide to kind of make the pivot to do your own thing. And for a lot of people, again, that's a, being an entrepreneur and doing it on their own, it's a, a big fear for a lot of people, right? So same with that. Like, what was your mindset around that to actually go and, and go make it happen on your own? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I spent almost a decade at um, NEA and, you know, it was a great run. I started as an associate. Um, um, I think I'm uh, at the time I was, you know, only the third um, person ever to go from, you know, associate to partner, at least in the construct of um, the, the, uh, the associate program that, that I was in at NEA and, um, um, and I became the youngest partner at the firm. Um, I think, uh, I found that, uh, the few years I was a partner, I was focused on consumer internet investing and the market had really shifted. Um, it was very hard to find success and, you know, it just, uh, at some point became really clear that, um, it would make sense for me to go do something else, um, and put myself in an environment to be more successful. And so, had a conversation with the firm, um, sort of late 2020, and then spent most of 2021 sort of figuring out, you know, what was next for me. Mm, nice. Cool. Awesome. And now you're doing chain for us, which I, I love when you, when we first met, you were telling me about that too. Um, the thing I love about it is one is I love community, right? Like I love bringing together awesome people where when you have that mastermind effect, right. And kind of the coaching world, uh, a lot of amazing things happen where you have like-minded people that are aligned with their values and similar we're, nobody's ever, ever the same exactly right but values and belief systems similar uh, a lot of cool stuff happened so what was your vision uh, and catalyst for for deciding to start that yeah for sure well you know firstly like um firstly it took me about six months from you know um deciding to leave nea to um, um deciding to start a company and i looked at you know so many different opportunities um in that time period i looked at some of the top hedge funds, um, which were all sort of very excited about private investing, um, particularly at this moment in time. Um, a couple of the companies I had invested in, um, I had great relationships with their founders and they asked me to join their executive teams. Um, and, uh, and so I sort of looked at a bunch of things and seriously considered it. And after some time, I realized, hey, I'm actually considering a bunch of stuff um, because it feels less risky than just sort of going out on my own. So now I look back and said, I literally looked for anything else I could do before like being comfortable saying like, all right, I need to go start something. Um, and I don't think I sort of saw it that way, but in retrospect, I realized, you know, actually there was this sort of fear that was definitely holding me back. And if I had found something that I thought was really exciting where I didn't have to take that risk, I probably wouldn't have. Um, um, if I'm being honest with myself, you know, um, it was just that when I looked at, you know, the different opportunities that were in front of me, 
you know, none of them sort of felt like they had the um, the impact, the upside, the fulfillment that um, I was looking for for my career. And so um, at some point I just sort of said, you know what, like, you know, damn the risk, like, let's just, let's just go and try to do this. Um, and then, um, um, and then, you know, I think like I did have this very special period of several months of exploring first markets broadly, then sort of choosing to focus on crypto and really sort of having this very fluid state where I gave myself permission to sort of just experiment as I was sort of figuring out what sort of company I wanted to build. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to build an investing firm. Um, I had a number of other ideas that were much more product related. Um, but in that process, um, I had put together a um, initially a Slack group where um, I invited people to learn about crypto alongside me. Um, and yeah. I said, hey, I'm going to use this as an open source notebook. And people just loved it. You know, um, I, uh, people invited their friends to it. Um, um, I would sort of uh, share my notes and my thoughts. I would sort of tag other people. We'd have conversations um, um, in the group. And um, at some point, you know, um, a, a number of people in the community said, this is really special what you're building. You have an amazing skill as a community leader. Yeah. Um, and um, this is a really core value to crypto and you're looking for what you want to do and you've you've already found it you've already found something that works that's unique so you should just sort of figure out how to build value on this um, now and so we decided to try to create a venture fund with a new model where we pay our carry to community members for helping us with the investing process and we do that with a token that's representative of that carry so it resonates very deeply with people who are in the crypto and Web3 ecosystem, and it's been working very, very well. Um, but I think what I would emphasize about this process was it was very, very organic, yep. very bottoms up um, and very exploratory. And I think not having preconceived notions about what yeah. the organization I started would look like was a huge part of building something that I think now feels very authentic and is very resonant with the crypto community. Yeah. I love that you brought that up, right? Because I find a lot of times, and, and again, not always, but like a lot of even the most successful companies in the world, and again, how do you define success anyway? But a lot of times they're not out there to build a huge thing. Like they're out there just to serve and do something that lights them up or to connect people or just it's organic, right? Like you said. So I love yeah. that that was your process too. You didn't really have any preconceived intentions or outcomes for that. That's cool. For sure. Nice. What are some things about leadership that you feel uh, are, are natural to you? And then, or maybe, yeah, well, one is maybe that first, but then the second, the second question would be, what are some leadership tips you might have for people that actually want to build a community? Yeah. Um, um, so I think there's a couple um, things that I've sort of always been strong in. Um, firstly, like, you know, I've, I naturally have a very high level of influence, um, yeah. you know, dating back to elementary school, you know, if I was in a room, I would definitely take up a lot of energy, Yeah, be confident to communicate, um, you know, um, be, be very confident to express my opinions. So sort of, you know, I was captain of my football team in high school and I definitely have that kind of like football captain energy um, a lot yeah. of the time. Um, I, you know, I think separately um, I've, I've also been someone who um, can really bring people together either digitally or physically. Um, in college, I ran these large conferences where, you know, we would sort of plan out, you know, 
seminars where you know students would talk to you know different executives and you know learn from them. Um, and uh, and then uh, before I started Chain Forest, I started a meditation group um, out of my apartment that you know people really loved. Um, and so uh, when I started uh, Chain Forest, you know people who knew me you know more personally than professionally said, "Man, you've been doing stuff like this, you know, your whole life." Um, and uh, and uh, it was probably a skill or like a value that I had that I I probably didn't value as much as I should have um, for a while. Um, but um, those are those are a couple of things that I sort of naturally did well. Um, in terms of um, sort of um, tips um, for um, for leadership, I think a lot of that um, I would sort of um, I would say like I've done a ton of training over the last few years, um, and um, you know most of the tips would come not from the things I do well because those things came naturally to me. Like I can't really sort of say. Hey, do it like me and, you know, organize these in-person events or sort of, you know, be confident to sort of speak in a room. Like, I, I feel like those things are just sort of very personal to me. What the, the things I've really kind of learned about are, you know, um, creating trust uh, through being more open and vulnerable, yeah. um, recognizing, you know, my sort of personal biases and, you know, that I have my, these narratives that really don't have much to do with anything and sort of being open, more open-minded to those, um, you know, giving, uh, a lot of feedback um, and a lot of sort of positive specific feedback. You know, there's a lot of these sort of small tactical things that sort of can really add up. Um, and so, um, you know, I'd say that there are a lot of skills that anyone who wants to be a, a leader can do. And then a lot of it comes down to practice. Like I think um, across, you know, uh, physical or mental training or sort of leadership training, all these things are truly a practice. Um, yep. And I feel like I've definitely, um, you know, a lot of the sort of modalities I've tried, which we haven't really talked about yet, but yep. meditation, journaling, you know, coaching through CLG, um, T group, um, all these things sort of um, are practices that I regularly do that I think have allowed me to be a better leader than I was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. I love that, man. Yeah. And I'm going to jump into those uh, shortly after this, but some things you said that are awesome, but in terms of like the leadership tips, trust, right? Like trust is everything. That's why crypto is so cool yeah. right? because it kind of helps solve that problem of lack of trust, right? So yeah. uh, trust, the narratives, being open to the other person's side. I love Charlie Munger's, I think he said that, right? If you can't argue the other side with as much conviction as you're arguing your own, you shouldn't really be arguing about it. Right. So right. That, that thought process, being open to feedback, right? Like that's obviously, a lot of times we hear that, but that's a, it's a practice. And, and that was the fourth thing you said, practice. It is, it is training. Right? So a lot of times really smart people were like, yeah, I know this, but I don't care. Tony would always say, I don't care if you know it, I care if you do it. So it's not about knowing it intellectually. It's about the training and the practice, like you just said. So those are all huge, uh, amazing uh, fundamentals that I, I agree with you on. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to jump into those modalities. But before we do that, I want to ask you real quick. You said when you were a kid, you could like kind of just open up and say anything in the room and you were the captain of your football team. So any memorable moments about maybe something audacious you might've said as a kid in, in school or maybe any memorable moments playing football that you want to share? Um, um, I know you are able to edit this, so I'll sort of take a minute to like uh, think. Um, oh, yeah. Take your time, yeah. You know, I, I think it's... Um, it's a little bit less about 
um, what was said, but sort of um, there was always like this inner confidence that I had that served me incredibly well. So, you know, starting in fifth grade, I went to the, to Parker, which is this fantastic math and science focused um, school in the Bay Area. And I was coming from a public school and on, you know, the second day of class in fifth grade, I ran to be, you know, homeroom president um, of a school <laughs> where I didn't know anyone and I want, you know, and uh, and so like um, I, I don't really know, you know, where that came from. But, you know, yeah. I think like just having the confidence to um, to do that, to you know run for class president later. Um, to sort of aspire to become, you know, a football captain or basketball captain, which I did too, um, you know, and then in college, like I always, you know, the thing that I, one of the, one of the things that has always served me incredibly well is always to sort of shoot for these really big goals. Like if I didn't shoot for them, I think it would have been much harder to just sort of by happenstance achieve them. And so I've always sort of been like a very type A gunner that way. Um, and like was able to sort of really sort of say it with confidence. And I think that inspires other people. You know, I think of a couple, you know, specific things. Um, I remember, you know, one of my like campaign phrases when I was running for student council um, was, you know, 150%. Like I wrote 150% like on these like, um, you know, pieces of paper and printed them out. So that's what I'm going to give you if I, if you make me your you know class president. Yeah. And then, you know, student body president, I was running against this um, fantastic friend of mine, Amira, who um, we, we will start, we're still very close today. But um, I remember I said, like, you know, uh, uh, like someone asked a question, I sort of said, look, if you if you elect me, we're not even going to wait till next year, we're hitting the ground running, right. So I just always sort of was able to have like this very high level of confidence, um, yeah. which, you know, I think, like, again, like, sort of my self awareness now, like, I think, that alpha, you know, sort of very masculine energy, um, sort of has its downsides too, but, um, but like that, that definitely has served me, you know, very well in my life. I love that. That's awesome. Very cool. Uh, having the, having the big goals and also having that certainty and the conviction and like the way you do that, right? Like when you do that, it's really what it is, right? It's like, if you show up with certainty and confidence, like even if you're wrong, people start to believe you. Uh, for sure yeah just the best like obviously you could people you guys in, in a negative way too but uh obviously if you use it in the right ways it's a powerful tool definitely yeah nice man so let's dive into some of the modalities that you do do i love that you you said you meditate you journal you got the conscious leadership group that you're doing with uh chain forest uh but maybe let's start maybe a little bit of your meditation and your journaling practices what does that look like um yeah for sure so um meditation. Um, I've meditated, um, almost every day now for about, um, eight years. Um, yeah. and this is another thing that, you know, I have to thank my father for, um, right. where, um, you know, he, um, he sort of suggested it to me right after he had retired and, you know, I took it to heart and, um, I found a meditation teacher at the insight meditation center of Washington, DC, uh, she was an older woman who sort of said, Hey, you know, just start with two minutes a day, focusing on your breath. And from there I sort of, you know, found a bunch of different books, ultimately went to um, nine day silent meditation retreat at Spirit Rock, um, you know, sought out a, one of the teachers from, um, from Spirit Rock to sort of be a private teacher for me. Her name was Pam Weiss. Um, she encouraged me to start a meditation group, which I ran um, prior to the pandemic. Um, and this has always sort of been something, um, that, that I do, um, I don't put a lot of structure around it. 
yeah. I tend to aim for one or two 20 minute sessions per day. Uh, but uh, for me, like it, it's, it's always been something that's come pretty naturally. Um, uh, journaling um, is something that I probably picked up, um, you know, five or six years ago, I think listening to Tim Ferriss, um, I sort of learn about the learning, the morning pages uh, modality. Um, and I don't think I've uh, ever read, you know, the artist way, which it comes from, but basically the concept is easy enough. You just sort of like write three pages to uh, stream of consciousness. And, you know, um, I haven't done it uh, today, but I probably do it at least three or four times a week. And I, I find it to be, you know, time consuming, but very helpful. It takes like 40 minutes, 45 minutes to do but it sort of helps me get organized for the day and get a lot of different thoughts out to just sort of think more clearly. Yep, I agree. It, it is really helpful for me too. And I do it pretty regularly also. Um, and that's a great book. It, it is obviously pretty simple to follow the process, but it's a cool book to tap more into the creative side because yeah. while well, being an entrepreneur, you also have to be very creative too. But I find also I'm a little more uh, logistical, analytical, setting up systems and processes. So it's nice to get into that flow side too. So that was helpful for that. I love what you said about how you kind of found these meditation teachers. You're like kind of, you you reached out to them and you found mentors, right? Because that's another yeah. fundamental of personal growth, right? It's like finding mentors and people you can model that are doing good. But a lot of times people are nervous or scared or whatever, or doubtful to like go reach out to those people. But I love that you like, oh, Pam Weiss, I'm going to go have you teach me meditation. So I, I love that you uh, did that. What was your mindset about that you're like oh this person's great i want to go learn or what's your what's your thought around that stuff yeah you know again like um um i know some people are reluctant to sort of yeah. go seek other people out that's just never been my you know yeah. issue it's like oh hey here's something i want to do like let me find the people to help me yep. go do it. you know all these things are skills so whether it's you know like um studying for you know graduate level exams like the gre or you know, prepping for meditation or, you know, finding a coach like Diana, who I'm still working with, like, yeah. that's always been something where I've sort of sought out resources to help me get better and sort of this ethos of self-improvement I've had for a long time, very naturally. I love that, man. Very cool. Tell us about Diana and what you're doing with her. And because that goes in line with, again, and I'm totally agree with, agree with that. It's the training where it's constantly putting yourself in environments with people and events and programs are going to constantly make you grow. So tell us about Diana, what you're doing with her. Yeah, for sure. So um, um, Diana Chapman is one of the founders of Conscious Leadership Group. Um, she um, co-authored a book um, titled uh, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, which is, you know, a pretty popular uh, book, you know, out of these sort of, you know, leadership um, concepts. Um, and um, I, I discovered it um, talking to another person who is pretty deep into meditation. And, and I said to her, um, Ashley Bentner, who's also a VC. Um, hey, you know, I've, I've loved this meditation practice I've built, but I really want to find a way to integrate it you know, more deeply into my life. And she sort of said, um, um, uh, oh, you should try Conscious Leadership Group. You're supposed to, you know, I do this forum. I do it with, you know, nine other people and you're supposed to meditate each day as a part of it. And there's these principles. And as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, this is definitely something I'm interested and into. Um, and, um, uh, you know, my, my prior firm NEA, um, sort of paid for me to be a part of this program for two years, which I'm very grateful for. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, basically, um, the forum sort of uses the book, um, as a roadmap where these, these different principles 
all of them have sort of a different, you know, coaching background or, you know, like a, uh, perhaps like a different author behind it. So, you know, um, um, Byron Katie's, the work is sort of, uh, incorporated into one principle and the Sedona method is incorporated into another, but essentially in this group, we would sort of do drills to sort of learn these different 15 principles and then get a lot of immediate feedback from, you know, people, um, in this group. Um, initially, actually, I was very resistant to the coaching. Um, I would sort of sit there and be like, how does this work? Like, I don't understand this. Like, why are we doing this? I want you to explain it to me. You know, Diana was very sort of experiential, like, and said, you just really have to try this. And it took me sort of a few months before it clicked. But then as soon as it did, I really sort of got into it. And um, I think um, developed a great relationship with a bunch of people in this forum and with Diana. Um, and then, you know, I liked it so much that I decided to do sort of a you know, informal um, sort of CLG inspired coaching group within Chainforest yep. that went very, very well. Um, a lot of people in the group found it to be transformative. I brought Diana in and now we're going to try to teach these same principles to um, about a hundred different Web3 founders and operators. We're scheduling a class for January as we speak. That's awesome. I love that. I love that you're pulling it in. You're, 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 you're investing in your people, right? A lot of times it's like, the best companies I've worked with when I was doing more talks and trainings before COVID, it's like they invest in their people versus like most companies don't and their people just kind of burned out. So that's really cool that you're doing that and, and uh, giving them that opportunity to grow. It's cool. Yeah, I think um, yeah, founders in the Web3 space are um, younger than founders um, that traditionally start companies in tech who are already young to begin with. Um, and then founders in tech, you know, a lot of times they would come from a larger tech company like Stripe or um, Meta or Uber. And so they've sort of been a part of these places where they sort of um, through osmosis get some training or best practices. And that's a lot less common in crypto since everyone's sort of just figuring out, figuring it out as they go. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I found that founders really sort of gravitate to this idea that they'd be able to learn this coaching and to do it with other Web3 people. And so, um, it's not something that I'm able to really talk about in the sort of elevator pitch of chain forest, but I think it's going to be one of these super powerful things we do that yeah. is a huge differentiator for us. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the secret weapon behind the scenes. Um, yeah. I know. I know. I think uh, Andreessen Horowitz, they have a pretty solid uh, coaching program or just kind of personal growth program for, for their uh, portfolio companies too. Um, and I know Zap, I went to Zappos in Vegas and they had a, a coaching department too for uh, yeah. their employees. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a fantastic thing to invest in and something like CLG, um, it gives people a shared vocabulary to sort of deal with issues, right? So, you know, an example is there's a, if you want to have a difficult conversation with someone, that's something that we all really struggle with. It feels very uncomfortable. And then there's this concept we learn in CLG called the the clearing method, where you know it tells you tells us a structure. And if two people have learned the structure of being like, here are the facts, here are my stories, here are my feelings, here's what I want, and yeah. my job right now is just to listen before responding. You know, even like just kind of having these sort of shared frameworks can make an organization really open up um, in a way that um, you know won't happen naturally or won't happen without effort. Yep, that's huge. I love that. Yeah, those models and frameworks, even though they, well, simplicity is the best, right? Like Einstein would say, uh, but they are very simple, but it gives us something to 
like it gives us certainty to like open up and also trust the other person and also like a little process to go by. So I love that. Can you share with some of those uh, principles? What are some of the principles from uh, CLG? Yeah. So um, you can also get the book, right? It's called Conscious Leadership. Uh, it's it? called 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And then if you go to the um, conscious, the CLG website, which is conscious.is, um, yeah. they have a ton of resources and videos and stuff. It's, it's a very, very well-designed nice. website. Um, but basically, um, and like, um, uh, but basically, um, you know, the first question we ask ourselves when we're, um, when we're sort of dealing with an issue, which can be anything, you know, personal or, or professional is, am I above the line or am I below the line? Um, yep. above the line is, you know, approaching this situation from a place of openness, learning, improvisation, creativity, joy, and um, approaching things from below the line. We're approaching it from a place of fear, desire yeah. Wanting to be right, and in most situations, most people, um, a, a lot of times, will be pulled um, below the line. Um, and so, um, Diana and CLG, what they teach is to sort of um, first sort of recognize, you know, one where we, you know, secondly um, recognize that this is probably coming from a place of fear. Um, fear can come from one of three places: a de desire for control, security, or approval. So. You know, where is this sort of particular issue um, coming from? Um, accepting ourselves from being scared, recognizing this is, you know, part of the human experience. Yep. Um, and then um, asking ourselves a number of willingness questions, which are sort of based on the 15 principles. There are things like, um, am I willing to take responsibility? Um, checking, you know, what we call, what are the facts here? What are the stories? What are the opposites of the stories? Because a lot of times, these issues are created through, you know, our own narratives, which right. may not be true. And so we try to sort of break those up. And then we sort of ask ourselves questions of, you know, all right, am I willing to sort of see that no matter what I have enough, am I willing to, you know, treat this lightly and not seriously? Basically, we're trying to catch ourselves to see things that are sort of holding us below the line and sort of see, are we willing to shift? And if not, can we sort of own the fact that we're not willing yeah. to shift? Um, so that's sort of like, any issue, like I, I've sort of done this enough now where I can sort of walk myself through that process, either mentally or journal it out or something like that. And I find that um, um, when I speak to my friends, even those who haven't sort of received this training, I can sort of walk them through it and they find it to be you know, incredibly um, helpful. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the core of it. And then there are different individual drills that sort of uh, dial into each one of these different principles of responsibility, stories, you know, play, um, you know, et cetera. Um, but that's sort of the high level of how it works. I love that. That's awesome. Have you started testing it out with some of the uh, entrepreneurs in Chainforest? Like um, I have, yeah. You know, I find that like a lot of times when I speak to founders, um, they they really sort of look to me for tactical advice. Like I'm working with a founder right now on, all right, how do I sort of structure this fundraise and you know what's yeah. the guy I, I need to focus on um um i think like here i've i found more success um when i sort of say hey you you need to opt into a program where you learn these skills and i'm going to teach them to you or someone comes to me for personal advice so i'm still you know even though i'm working with diana and we're going to be working with all these uh web3 founders and operators i'm still sort of figuring a way how to how how do i sort of even more closely merge it with, you know, my professional uh, work. Um, 
Um, um, so like I have used some of these skills with, with founders, but I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, sort of using something from the toolkit in every single conversation. Right. That's awesome. I love that you're like leaning them towards that. Right. Cause a lot of times, again, 80%, I always say is psychology, 20% is the strategy. And most people want to go straight yeah. to strategy, right? It's like, Oh, how do I do the fundraise? How do I get my team to perform better? How do I like double my business? But again, it's the psychology which goes back to the tools like you're using with a uh, conscious leadership group that is really where you make those shifts. And then the other stuff, the answers come out of nowhere all of a sudden, right? Like it's more of a sure. block than it is a strategy block. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think that's true a lot more of the time than um, we realize. Yep. That's cool. So then before we cl close it down, you, you were saying before, when you first started it with the program with Diane, you kind of had a little bit of resistance, which is normal, right? Most people, have that yeah. self included. What 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 kind of made it click? And then also maybe looking back, was there using like the tools from conscious leadership group? And maybe maybe it was some of the fear, right? A lot of times it is fear, but if there's resistance, you were saying some of those fears that came up that people have. Like, can you looking back on kind of your resistance? Can you use the tools to understand more what was going on and also what made it click for you? Yeah, for sure. And by the way, I have I have a bit more time after this. So if you want to, I don't know if you have more time and you want to spend a little bit more time talking about other stuff, but we don't have to end exactly one if, if you don't want to. Perfect. That's good to know. Um, yeah, we, we'll go a little over that. Cool. Um, um, you know, I think a lot of the resistance comes from, um, um, you know, anytime I wanted to work with someone or I sought out a resource, I like wanted confidence that this was something worth my time and the person I was working with, I could really sort of trust with this. And clearly looking back, like I did not yet trust Diana with like what she was teaching. And I think um, there were a couple of reasons for that. One was I was really looking for professional development. Um, and uh, like, I was looking to be better at investing, working with founders, et cetera. And, you know, when we came into this, even though I had this sort of background and mindfulness, um, you know, it, it came across as a little wishy-washy, a little bit too sort of personally oriented. And then, you know, the people in this group with me, I thought would be other executives, um, founders, you know, investors, and it was actually much more diverse than that. And so I, I sort of came in and was like, what did I really get myself into <laughs> here, you know? Um, and it's really funny now because, you know, some of these people who are, you know, the most different from me, you know, I, I feel so close to, um, um, and learned the most from, you know, um, uh, but, um, what really made it click was sort of going through, um, this concept of, you know, facts, stories, and their opposites, um, which is, you know, really powerful, um, 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 sort of, uh, like a, a tool that we can use for really any situation, um, and basically, you know, the idea is, um, you know, I, I sort of say, oh, I'm mad at my sister for not calling. Um, and then, you know, we break that up into facts and stories. So maybe a fact is she has not called me in, you know, two weeks. Um, and um, my story is she should call me at least every three days. Um, and then I'll sort of explore the opposite of that and say she shouldn't call me every three days. Oh, I could I could call her. That's that's perfectly reasonable. Like maybe I need to think about this differently. Right. Um, and, um, it sounds, you know, pretty simple, but like, uh, people will use this with very challenging frameworks. And when Diana introduced this, I challenged it very aggressively. I sort of said, well, um, what about the story that the Holocaust was bad? How could that possibly, you know, not be true? Like, you know, I, I sort of 
took two or three of these really, really extreme examples to sort of stress test this. And she sort of said, yeah, tell me, tell me how the Holocaust was like, you know, um, not bad. I'm like, oh, well, we can, maybe we look at the change in the world, you know, as a result or, you know, how we've sort of, you know, prevented, uh, you know, a second Holocaust from happening. Right. Um, and so we sort of, um, you know, she made me realize actually this, this framework works. And um, as soon as that happened, it kind of clicked for me that, Hey, like this is a um, this is a practice. These are all different drills that we need to do, and there's sort of 15 different sets of drills that we can do to sort of learn this, and they're all sort of valuable and synergistic. And as soon as I sort of understood that I was learning a system, um, and that that was when I said, oh, "Okay, now I want to really master the system." And I went very quickly from being skeptical to be like, "I'm going to learn how to do this." really, really well. Um, and I'm, I'm very much like a systems thinker that way. Um, and so, you know, when it was just, oh, just try this out and see where it goes. That was something I really struggled with. But when I sort of intellectualized the, that fact, like I was able to really sort of give it everything to sort of learn this. Wow. That's really cool. I love that she was patient with you and she also kind of used the tool with you. So yeah. You were going through it. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. We laugh about it now for sure. <laughs> <laughs> So what, what lights you up uh, the most about kind of what you're doing uh, going forward with your entrepreneurs? Is it, uh, I'm sure you still love the the business side and the investing side and the VC side, uh, but, uh, but also what about like the mentorship and the coaching and the leadership and, and all that with your entrepreneurs and your, and your founders? Yeah. You know, I think um, <clears throat> uh, Chain Forest um, has been around now for about 18 months and um People have said it's changed their lives. You know, they've um, used it as a tool to sort of, you know, uh, go full time Web three. Um, they've found co founders um, through the community. Um, they've you know joined the coaching group and you know found it to be really valuable. Um, um, you know, sort of seeing that this thing that I put together and you know sort of cultivated, you know, first sort of out of very pure intention and seeing the impact of that um, has been really really fulfilling and rewarding. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think, um, investing, um, is, is, is great and very interesting and sort of constantly a, a challenge, but, you know, what we've really done with chain Forest is try to create, um, a different, um, way to sort of, um, win in venture capital, which is to leverage a community very powerfully to sort of find, um, opportunities we wouldn't otherwise have better judgment to evaluate them and then have this different framework that founders really gravitate to. And that's, that's really worked so far. Um, and it's so fantastic sort of take this thing that grew uh, organically, have a hypothesis about how to approach this hyper-competitive sector in a different way and to create yeah. something that's really different. So um, investing has um, been, you know, great. And we've thought a lot about what do we look for and how to be successful. And, you know, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't when I was at a large platform uh, for investing. Um, but it's, so, you know, there's, there's definitely great things there, but it's really kind of taking this, um, experiment and turning it into a concept and then realizing this concept that's been a really cool experience. I love that. Very cool. What would you say to like a young entrepreneur that either just wants to go out and do their own thing or wants to get into web three, uh, that's, uh, maybe a little bit on the fence or having some doubt about, uh, what they're doing, what would your message be to them? Um, Yeah, I mean, I would, I would just sort of tell them that, like, um, um, so much upside 
um, comes from trying to really start something on your own. Um, yeah. Almost every dimension, um, economically, um, the impact that a person can have on the world, the level of fulfillment, the level of learning, all those things sort of get supercharged by um, being an entrepreneur. Um, and so, um, you know, and then actually the risks are just not nearly as um, as high as we think they are, because, you know, if we fail as an entrepreneur, we actually have a lot of skills that we developed um, during that process. Um, yeah. So um, I would sort of, you know, really sort of, uh, you know, ask them to sort of think through that game theory of what happens with, you know, colossal failure and like what happens in success. And I think it's just like a, you know, a, like a better way to live life is to sort of, you know, try to be a creator of things. Um, uh, and then, um, and then secondly, you know, I think like um, a lot of entrepreneurship is about um, emotional resilience. Like it is a very, very hard thing to do. And I've learned that, but like, what does, what does hard mean? Right. Um, these are all sort of different skills we learn, but you know, when we sort of come up against something where we don't know how to deal with it, we naturally sort of feel scared or uncomfortable. And, you know, what I've learned is if we can just sort of learn to ride that wave more effectively, um, this sort of um, path, I think is a lot more uh, fulfilling and valuable. And so it's sort of, you know, the second thing I would sort of um, give advice on is, you know, I get comfortable feeling uncomfortable, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Those are both spot on. The first piece, uh, well, they both, they both resonate deeply, but uh, in terms of um, obviously getting the, the in, enjoying the process of the hard stuff. And again, what is the hard stuff to begin with? But that is where the gratifying stuff does come from, right? It's like when you push through and you break through the challenges, that's like the fun part about life, right? If it's easy, you'd get bored, right? So I, I agree hundred um, percent. There was a thing you said in the, the first piece too, that I forgot that it slipped my mind. Anyway, a lot of a lot of great insights popping up as we have this conversation. Um, so to kind of uh, wrap it up, what would you say for people watching this and if they found value, which I'm sure they did, right? I, I got a lot of value out of this too. I, I really had a fun time talking to you on, on this conversation. What, what's a random act of kindness that you would uh, like them to take and, and pay it forward? Um. I would say that, um, and this is something I've learned through my own sort of um, work and sort of self-improvement in the last few years, but yeah. specific positive feedback is just a huge, huge enhancer for other people. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, like I could say to you, like, hey, uh, uh, Naeem, when you sort of um, you know, comment on the things that you sort of gave me energy on, it really encouraged me to you know, keep going. And I really, really appreciate that. Um, and yeah. actually I really appreciate you, you know, um, like, um, doing this podcast with me, cause this is something that's so meaningful for me. And I, I really never talk about it. I'm just always talking about crypto and investing and whatnot. And so for me to dig into this, like it really helps me show, you know, the side of myself that I'm really um, proud of. And, you know, I spent a lot of time cultivating that a lot of people don't get to see. And so that's really valuable for me. I'm excited to share this with, you know, my community, um, you know, and those things are true, but like actually sort of sharing those things, a lot of times we sort of reserve them or when we think about feedback, we only think about negative feedback, but yeah. positive feedback is a lot of times, you know, more valuable. It's totally free. It makes a person's day. So, you know, if anyone's listening, like one easy thing to do is, you know, someone during the day 
find something specific to compliment them on. Like if your waiter sort of makes like an extra effort to sort of, it's like, Hey, I really appreciate you being, being proactive and, you know, conscientious or, you know, your romantic partner or, you know, someone you're working with to sort of, you know, tell them, um, Hey, this is something you did that I really appreciate it. Like, I think it goes a long way. And so that that's something I would suggest other people try. I love that, man. I agree hundred percent. Then praise, uh, repetition is the mother of skill and praise, is the father of skill. So I agree. And the first person we got to praise is ourselves. And I love when you said earlier, um, a lot of times, like you did it too, you discounted the value that you were creating in your community and you just didn't realize it was valuable, right? Because we all do it. It's human nature, right? When we don't really realize uh, the great value we do add and bring to to, to the world. So um, I love that. Go, go out and praise other people and give compliments. And uh, even if it seems small and insignificant, it's, it's not. So uh, that's awesome of it. Uh, sounds good, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, brother. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. I want to say welcome to the new members of the Peak Humans Tribe who have joined us this week. If you haven't joined yet, come join the others who are receiving exclusive insights, tools, and strategies on the psychology of peak performance and high performance habits every single week. Simply click on the link to join the newsletter down below. I have a free gift for you as well, my morning tools to kick off your day in a peak state so you can have unstoppable confidence and high energy throughout the day. Simply click on the link down below. Please check out the sponsors down below as it's the best way to support this podcast. All of them are products I use myself and many of my top performing clients do as well to optimize their mind and body to stay in a peak state.